Welcome to the Elijah Fire Podcast, where we jump into issues of today with faith and freedom instead of fear. And now here's your host, Jeff Tharp. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Elijah Fire episode 214. Today is Monday, October 2nd, 2023. It's officially Rocktober, baby. Uh, which I realized as I was writing kind of my little intro notes, it's like, oh yeah, it's Rocktober, which is my, maybe other people call it that, but I do. And it's like, this is where we just go hard with the, you know, cause I'm a big Christian metal fan as a lot of, you know, so we're going to, we're going to bust it out. But it was funny. Cause I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, I was listening to like instrumental music all day. Uh, I was like, bro, it's Rocktober. You got to be a little bit more, you got to be a good steward of the name um also uh this is one of my sets many of you know i'm doing a a short film stop motion animation short film uh and i'm working on a scene right now typically this is out there um but i'm in the middle of the scene where this set piece is not included so these are pretty big they're like four by three or something like that pretty huge and there's three of them they all go together um, and, uh, they take up a lot of space. So, uh, this needed to go somewhere and this was the best place. So I was like, I'm just going to incorporate it into the, uh, the set of the aesthetics. So there it is. Uh, very cool. Handmade by me. It's a junkyard. It looks like a junkyard. Uh, very exciting. So, uh, short film is coming along. Thank you for everybody's support. And not that I'm trying to plug my own things on here, but, um, it it's here. So, um there you go so thank you everybody for all the warm exciting comments all that good stuff um all right um um also if you guys are listening on spotify make sure to follow the elijah fire podcast on spotify that'll really help us out Uh, every episode that we do live is then put onto our podcast platforms by the following morning so that's apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify and everywhere else that you guys listen to podcasts so we really also appreciate your guys's honest reviews um and that helps just kind of push the exposure of the podcast into the uh podcast sphere so thank you for that also anytime you guys donate to elijahstreams.com slash donate that makes sure that we all have uh jobs and we can keep doing this and we so appreciate you guys and your donations um, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of people involved behind the scenes. There's, there's about two and a half of us that are majorly involved in Elijah fire. So illumination myself. And then Michael, uh, is the 0.5, uh, cause he's a busy guy, but then there's also other people that do little things for us here and there that are also integral, uh, just helping to lighten the load for us. So we really do appreciate those donations, you guys. Uh, but we don't stop there. Uh, we also. Uh, take a portion of your donation and we put it into our partnership with show mercy international where we're digging freshwater wells around the world transforming people meeting a basic need like fresh clean water which allows these communities to move beyond that basic need into other needs in building their communities and you guys are to thank for that so we're going to play a quick video and then we're going to get going we are celebrating why because thousands of people cannot access clean water and thousands have given their lives to jesus because of the clean water wells that have been drilled you are truly saving lives 
you have no idea the peace of mind that you have brought to the mothers in these villages. Now, their young daughters don't have to travel alone for miles and miles to collect water. Instead, they can focus on school and family. Everyone is rejoicing and giving thanks. May God bless you all. Come with me as we go visit one of the mothers that you have impacted. Hello. 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 Hey, I'm here with Pegson's family. Pegson is a mother of eight and she lives with some of her grandchildren. Before the new water walls were drilled in this community, they would walk two hours to the old water source to collect water. It was very hard for them. But now everything has changed because they now have a new water source. Because of you, the water source is just two minutes away from their home. Stories have changed. Thank you for being a blessing. May God bless you. We would like to say thank you. You have impacted so many lives by donating towards the drilling of water wells. But there are still people without access to clean water. Donate today at elijahsdreams.com slash donate. All right. So my guest today, I've been very much looking forward to this uh, since we booked her. Um, and she's a social justice advocate, a real one, not a fake one. Uh, she's also worked in anti-trafficking and so uh, mental health for the past five years. She also hosts the fantastic, the new, it's new. Uh, prophetic justice podcast we're going to be talking a little bit about that and a bunch of other stuff so without any further ado let's give it up for my guest today tatiana bergam tatiana look who it is welcome i'm so excited to be here yeah. i love the pump up music every time I'm yeah like, just get it it just yeah. really gets it going you know it it's does just, yeah revs you up so you and i met you reached out to myself because you'd embarked on this prophetic justice podcast yeah. and um i was like yeah i'll bring illumination in there too because you're just like i'm just curious how you guys do elijah fire because i'm all yep. new to this whole thing and um and so we're like yeah absolutely so we met and uh it was just great uh we talked for a while and um and then you invited me on your podcast and uh we hung out for like three hours yes. <laughs> it's a, it a lot it awesome lot long hangout sesh all most of it recorded yeah uh and uh it was just great and so i was like man i really just i i think the thing that i i love about you just in the time that we've been able to hang out is you really do have a gift for pulling out stuff and i've listened to some of your other episodes and um i don't know maybe even if you're because you're fairly new at this in that place of nerves still, you know, when you yep. have a guest on, totally. uh, cause I was telling you, I was like that. Yeah, that's normal. That's definitely normal. <laughs> um, but even then that, that gifting is, is operating and just being able to connect with people, extract out stuff. And I noticed that because I was pretty transparent on your podcast. And, um, I think that's something that you, you have a real natural gifting, Obviously, it's from God, but yeah, I think that's, that's very prevalent in you. And so I was just like, man, it'd be great to have her on Elijah Fire um, just because of all your social justice work. Um, again, real social justice work, not <laughs> armchair social that's justice so work. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited to have you on the show. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. And and yeah, we had a really long conversation. It will air next month um, on the Prophetic Justice podcast. So that'll right. be awesome. It'll be divided up into a few episodes. But um, man, I just, you know, we pray before every episode and God just comes in. I mean, the conversation is just totally God-led, just like yeah. it is. A light fire here too. So yeah, and then I think I the most recent one I listened to was the one you just released. Is there a name Amy Baker? Yes, she's a lobbyist, yes. and that was that was really great. And for those who don't know, she's a lobbyist for pro life. She's a pro life lobbyist, yes. correct? Yep, she's yeah. a lobbyist out of South Carolina, and she just um, has a kind of an amazing God story about God bringing in her into the pro life space, yeah, and she's post abortive. Yes. Yeah. Yep. She has a beautiful story that she shares on the podcast. And then she was in marketing and she just decided, like, I think I need to do something. And like, I'm kind of at a healed point, um, so to speak, and just needing to get involved. And one thing led to another. And she is now like a very uh, powerful lobbyist in yeah. South Carolina doing amazing work. Yeah, so, come on. Come on. Yeah. So we're going to kind of work our way present and towards you know, towards the past. That's kind of the the take we're going to, the approach we're going to take today. Um, so why don't you start and we'll talk, I'll have you plug this again at the end once we're done yeah. conversing, but what is the prophetic justice podcast? What's your heart behind it? Um, what do you hope to achieve from it? Cause I think it's a really great idea. Yeah. So it really stemmed, it's been probably about three years in the making. God had put it in my heart to do a podcast, like Three years ago when I was working uh, doing direct services with people who experienced trafficking and I just, you know, it takes a while sometimes for God to like get through to me. And I, he had said like, you're not the only one. <laughs> um, and he had told me like, do a podcast. And I just honestly brushed it off. I was like, everyone has a podcast. Like, right just yeah. no like it is not my thing like I'm good like what am I going to talk about and and also I think right looking back I was like burnt out so I really like went on the back burner and then um it was in this past spring I was at a, a conference uh I don't know if you've heard of Joshua Giles he's like out of the city yes uh-huh uh, out of Minneapolis. And he puts together a conference at each year. He calls it the Mantle Conference. And so I was at the Mantle Conference. He had just done an awesome panel discussion with people who were in the media sphere. And then he prayed over anyone. He's like, come forward if you feel like you are supposed to be in this realm of media. And I can't explain. I mean, it was totally God or an angel mm -hmm. or something, but I got like lifted out of my chair, pushed like I was <laughs> literally in the back row and it was a big auditorium and pushed to the front. I tried to turn around. Whatever was behind me would not let me turn around. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. So I get there, you know, they pray, they um, mantle everyone for this mountain of media. And I told God right then there, if you want me to do this, give me a name, because that was another thing. I didn't have a name. I just was like you know, not feeling it, anything mm -hmm. as clear as we're talking now, I heard prophetic justice podcast. Dude. And so did you hear so, an audible voice or was it just so, was it the still small voice, but it was so loud. It was almost audible. I'm curious. No, it was an audible voice. I like actually wow. looked behind me. Cause Come I was on. like, did I just say that prayer out loud? You know, hmm. like, um, so yeah. And then from there, it was just like, all right, God, like you gave me the name, I will go ahead and move forward. And, um, so 
that was the beginning of it. It started, it started it last spring. And the heart is really to just, the heart behind it is to bring people in this sphere of like social justice, whatever realm they're working in, it doesn't have to be um, specifically human trafficking, but um, to bring them on and just hear how God like helps them do their work. Because I really felt as I was doing the work in the field, I wasn't finding information. I wasn't like, I was just like, God, like you're talking to me. Like I would have conversations with God while I was with clients and like, God was like very much helping me through the work I was doing. And there was like no one I could really talk to or no one who I knew of who was operating like that with God in the field, in this field. And so I just wanted to have a space where we could kind of get some of that on the table. And I've been talking to people I know and people I don't know and just hearing like literally it's amazing. God works through everyone so differently. Um, Yeah. So that's the heart behind it. Yeah. And I think that's really cool because you know, just listen to you and Amy talk in your last episode uh, about you were, you guys were both kind of conversing about this thing of how it's not talked about enough in our space. Um, yeah. Is it, is it because people are even Christians are so you're dealing with a, you're addressing a physical need, obviously. So, okay, this person needs to be there in a physical location and they're be, they've been taken out of that physical location and now they have trauma. So we treat that. Uh, is it because you're treating, you know, physical symptoms, um, you know, or maybe even psychological, but they're, it's all very much in this world. And, and is that a reason why it's, it's hard to talk about or. No, you know, that might be a part of it. I, so I will say this, I'm only speaking from my experience, right? So um, as I've talked with others throughout this time, they have different experiences and they sometimes don't agree with my statement, but I do feel it really is um, like, we don't talk about our faith in general, like as professionals, it almost is like taboo to say I'm a Christian. And then to even go deeper into like, God is talking to me while I do this work, or like I am prophetic in some way, like it's just so there's a disconnect between the work and our faith. And um, also like the fields that we're in, it can be frowned upon to even say, like to bring faith into it, to bring God into it. Um, So there's a lot of fear, I think, um, that goes into like, am I going to get fired if I talk about God in some way? Am I, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and of course it's different for a ministry, but in my experience, it almost is like this underground, like, oh, you're a Christian. Okay, well, maybe we should talk about that like in another at another time, like because right now we're working. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because my experience with you know where I really got exposed to anti-human trafficking efforts, it was in YWAM, and so it was a lot of other ministries, sub ministries within YWAM, uh, all over the world, all inter interconnected, and so that was my. That was my primary exposure. Now, I was aware of non-Christian organizations um, where there were a lot of Christians that worked for them. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And where, you know, but it, my primary exposure was probably two thirds, maybe more, but two thirds Christian organizations. So it's really interesting right. to hear you're kind of it's I guess maybe the opposite for you. Yeah, I think so. And I, um, you know, work in Minnesota, I live in Minnesota. And um, also, I've worked in the government realm for a long time as well. And there just isn't, you know, there isn't the desire to 
have, you know, it just was really frowned upon. Um, Minnesota is a liberal state. And then you get into different levels of government and you can't bring in conversations of faith necessarily. So it just had, you know, that's just my experience and how I've seen it. But then it's all of a sudden having these like, oh my gosh, like you're a Christian, you know, like it's just a little different for me, but I think it's, um, I I love your experience that you shared around Mm -hmm. it too. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so obviously for the last five years, it said in the intro, you've been working in the anti-trafficking and mental health, you know, arenas. So what all has that entailed for you? Like yeah. How did, you, so, and how did you get into this? Oh as gosh, well? oh. It's kind of a crazy story. So okay. like I had, um, I had been working in the pro-life sphere, um, for about five years prior to like, we're going back like maybe a decade, decade, I graduated college. I, um, had worked for a pro-life organization doing internships. And then just, they, uh, asked me to come work for them as I graduated. And it was like a, a legislative, like, um, based organization. And so I was doing communications work. So my sphere was really like policy legislation. Um, and I had gone to school for social work, but I like, wasn't doing it. Um, and so, um, I, we ended up like, leaving, we were in DC, we ended up leaving DC. Um, We had our second child and just wanted to be closer to family. And um, I was burned out, like the Trump presidency, like no matter what side you're on, like it was just an exhaustive um, election Mm. um, cycle. And I just was, I was like, if I don't have to look at another TV ever again, like I'll be so happy. Uh I don't ever want to look at the news. Like I was burnt out. Yeah, Yeah, I unfollowed unfollowed quite a few things on Instagram or just flipping tables. I don't want to talk about anything. I just want to, yeah, just focus on. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. And so, you know, I had the opportunity, there were some opportunities to go into like state policy and legislation, but I just, I couldn't do it. And um, so it was like, I have this bachelor's in social work, never used it. Let's just see what I can find. So I found like a daytime job at, um, a, for a mental health agency, and this mental health agency worked in school systems helping kids with their mental health. Wow. And it was like my role was in a small rural community, um, and so I was like, "This is awesome! I don't got to think about anything. <laughs> like I'll be done by the time my kids are done with school. Like just the perfect. Like I was like, this will be perfect, mindless, mm-hmm. not mindless, but you know, just like easy work. And so." Um, so I worked, it was a K through 12 school. And I just found that I loved working with teenagers, like middle school teenagers were like, just, it was so fun to work with them and help them. And I was seeing that a lot of like these kids would like, well, not a lot, but like groups of them would like leave school or like someone would come pick them up. Like that wasn't their parent and bring them uh, somewhere and then bring them back to school. And it was like rural Minnesota town and I was like what is going on like why are these kids leaving and coming back and like yeah and so finally after building the relationships with a few of them you know I asked them like what's happening here like I saw that you left and came back and you know they had said that they were going to make money or there were other things like that they were exchanging for you know they were exchanging like something for a place to live or things like that. And I just was like, what? Like, so these are middle school, age middle kids? school and high school kids. Yeah. Okay. And so um, at the same time in my organization, we had this anti-trafficking 
like, um, or this anti-trafficking program. And the woman who ran it was like a boss. Like she was like working with law enforcement. She was doing community training. She was like working at a state policy level. And then she was like, she had a big caseload of youth that she was working with who had experienced like exploitation or trafficking. Thanks for listening. The Elijah Fire podcast is made possible by donations like yours. To become a partner, visit ElijahFire.com slash give. She was very busy and I just was like trying to get down, sit down with her and like just talk with her because I was like, having kids and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I want to be you. Yeah. And um, so finally months go by and she, finally we sit down and she just said, she's like, you know, I... Um, I'm really glad we're sitting down because I'm actually leaving the agency and I'm going to start my own business and I want you to take this job. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> like, I just, like, no. like, let's just like slow your roll. Yeah. I just came to talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, She's a bit um, excessive. Yeah. Yeah. And she, and she was like, well, if you want, like, I'm leaving at this date. If you want me to train you, I need to know essentially like after the weekend, it was like a Thursday Whoa. or Friday. And I initially I was like, no, I'm good. Like, this is not what I wanted to do. I just wanted information. Yeah. And um, I prayed about it. God said yes. But I was like, God, I just want to be low key. Like, for real, I don't want to Mm -hmm. be like doing this. And um, so we talked on a Monday and I literally was going to say to her, like, my answer was no but yes came out and it like surprised me so much. (laughs) I like, I don't even know. Did I just say yes? (laughs) And she, she ran with it and she, and that was the end. I mean, that was the beginning of Anne really. And so she trained me. Um, She's very, uh, she's very successful business owner now, but she um, really helped me get started. And so that was my en- entry into it. And I didn't know anything. And then on the other side of it, like she had a caseload of youth that she had worked with for quite some time, like five years. And most all of them did not want to continue with me because they had built a relationship with right. her. They didn't want to like mm-hmm. have anyone new. And so there was one young person that stayed on my caseload um, out of like a hundred or so. Wow. And so I literally was at that point rebuilding my caseload from scratch. And I had to find youth that I was, that needed support, um, around the issue of sexual violence. So I started the program, essentially my, this program that I, that I was, you know, running at this point, starting it from the top or Man. from the bottom up. In a way though, that seems like it's kind of a blessing in disguise maybe because yeah. It's not like you're trying to like, obviously she taught you a bunch of stuff. You learned a lot. So there's all these systems that she had in place and, you know, processes. But at the same time, you didn't have to kind of like square peg round hole the whole thing. So dealing with like imposter syndrome and all that, which is very real. um, I'm sure that was still there. But at the same time, you're kind of starting from scratch. So you get to build those relationships while implementing the systems and going, oh, you know, I'm actually going to maybe change yeah. the way I do this because it works better for the way my brain processes stuff to, so in a way it almost seems like it was maybe a blessing in disguise. Maybe it's, it totally maybe, was. Okay. It was. <laughs> no, looking back, it, it really was at the time. It did yeah. not feel as such, but yeah, it totally yeah. was. You're like I'm a failure. Nobody wants yes. to Nobody wants to hang out with me. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's very real. Yeah. So I, um, I guess like what, what do you do? Is it just like you're a resource and, and, 
kids, if they're going through something traumatic or difficult, they, they can reach out to you in, in the vein of, um, you know, uh, sexual assault or what, what is yeah, it? So do do? Originally. So, and I will preface this by, I currently am not doing this, but okay. this is how it really, the program ran was that, um, the state of Minnesota, like ultimately sees human trafficking as a public health um, issue. And so they provide organizations with funding um, to support them or to like address barriers um, of maybe getting out of like a trafficking situation. One of those barriers is mental health, um, accessing mental health care. Um, because many young people I was working with didn't have insurance, like they weren't um, able to, or they needed like some type of assessment to get into a program, but they didn't have insurance to even get the assessment to get the, like, you know, the greater support that was needed. So the program that I ran offered free clinical mental health services for youth, um, to either continue working with me or to, you know, just get an assessment. It's called like a diagnostic assessment and then continue on to whatever else they needed. But what, uh, ended up happening was that I I was like building relationships with them. They were kept wanting to meet with me. And um, it was like community outreach. Uh, and at first I was like, where do I find youth for my caseload? And it was like this weird, like feeling of like, where do I find youth who are experiencing sexual violence? And yeah, it was like, literally <clears throat> like I would go to skate parks, like anywhere youth would hang out. I would go and like start talking to them and like hand out my card um, and then just making connections with like local schools and wow. things like that. But yeah, yeah. That can be intimidating. Yeah, you know? it really was. Yeah. It was wild. But well, it was, I'm, um, I mean, I don't know, like, I would imagine you don't maybe look like someone who would normally frequent a skate park, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they do it's just from my own experience of evangelizing and stuff, they get very stranger danger. And it's like, yeah. it is a process of like, wherever you go, like I worked with the LAPD, um, when I was down in LA, uh, a after school program called jeopardy. It was all these at risk kids who I probably should have said this on your, your podcast. I totally forgot about this. Um, but, um, where they were at risk kids. Um, and a lot of them were like, cause it was like where we were doing it, like heavy Hispanic area. And, uh, so I'm this white dude, yeah. uh, who's like, you know, a head taller than most of them, maybe more. And uh. <laughs> they were, I mean, right away, very just like stranger danger with me, like didn't want anything to do with me. And and so that uh -huh. was a process of, of, you know, so yeah, it's, it's a very That's intimidating, real. a very hard thing to go into those places, man. Like, like I can only imagine just like the, the, just the exhaustion that maybe came from that in the initial months of doing it. I don't know. Yeah, no, and you're right. And it's interesting because in Minnesota, it's pretty flipped where I'm typically going into um, places where there's a lot of like Caucasian people uh -huh, and yeah. um, like the only person of color. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, I actually loved it. I, I just am who I am. And like, if like, I just didn't pretend to be something I wasn't. And I think, you know, just like anyone, but you specifically are drawn to that and they don't, you know, if you're trying to be someone else, they're not going to give you the time of day. Uh -huh. um, but if you if you are real and you care, like, and you're willing to hear their story and you're willing to like listen to them, like, you know, listen to the music they made or 
to the TikTok videos. Like it might take 20 TikTok videos to get to like something substantial, but that's okay. Like that's just, that was a lot of that. And um, yeah, you know, yeah. building trust. So just be you, be authentically you. Don't yeah. be like, hey kids, what's uh, what's <laughs> what's funky fresh? What's the four one what? The four one. No, yeah. just yeah, like no, don't, do don't even try. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, honestly, I I mean, with the way a lot of like younger Gen Zs talk now, they're like Zorp Z three, toe. <laughs> To, to the square root i'm like what did you just say <laughs> oh my gosh i can't tell you how many times i was like can you repeat that like yeah. can you just like translate what you just yeah, said please and, yeah gosh I'm, I'm a nerd i yeah. just didn't but that's <laughs> yeah yeah nation's like it's bussin for, bussin real. for it's real that's an actual slang term gen z slang term by the way people um yeah so uh, one thing i wanted to touch on really quick you know when you were talking about getting the prompting from the Lord to embark on this thing. Um, Cause honestly, Tatiana, for me in this show, one of my favorite things, and obviously we get people who've been in ministry for a while or doing whatever for a while. But one of the things I love, and I think it's because this is where God had me start when I, when I started this show is people that are actively like in mid development and are like God is actively writing their story on. He's doing that to everybody, but the yeah. people who are transitioning into kind of a next phase and are maybe in mid jump to the next, you know, landing platform, yeah. wherever it is. Like to me, that's so exciting because my big thing is I hear the Lord pushing people, and I see it uh, pushing people out into these different arenas um, and them dealing with the discomfort of that and, and all of that. Um, so the reason why I want I, I said all that is because you had mentioned God saying prophetic justice podcast, all of that. And you were like, God, I'm, I'm burned out. I wanted to talk about why, why were you burned out? Yeah. I mean, it's one thing. So I will say when I started the podcast, I wasn't doing direct service anymore. Um, and when he had told me initially to do the podcast, I was doing direct service and just the idea of like, talking through some of the traumatic experiences that we have as professionals while actually still living it. It was just mm. not, it didn't sound fun. Um, and I just didn't want to do that. Like it just was not, you know, it was like, I already am living through some of these really hard situations as a professional. Um, a lot of them really exhausting. A lot of them really traumatic. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't want to sit and talk about it, you know, on a podcast at mm -hmm. that time. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, with that, I would imagine there are some stories that you hear of, of kids saying things that, you know, something that happened to them and you're just like, I cannot believe this kid's parent is doing this. I cannot believe that this thing happened to them, whatever it is. I would imagine that that's happened several times for you. Yeah. That, I mean, that was just, that's just a part of the work. And, um, it was very, even just working in a school, doing mental health work, you know, you're reading um, maybe like a file on these kids and you're reading like the trauma that they experienced that, you know, leads up to the point of them accessing like clinical mental health services. And you're reading some of these things and you're just like, like, I can't, like, I need to step away. Like, I can't even read it, let alone hear another young person say it back to me yeah. that this was their experience. 
Um, I am very grateful looking back. God really protected my heart. God guarded my heart. And I mean, I would have to pray daily for just like um, a lightning, a burden really to just get through the day. And he, and he did it. So, um, you know, it's not to say I had to work through some really heavy trauma coming out of the work um, and just releasing it. Um, But while I was in it, God gave me the grace to do it. Yeah. And do you, do you feel like that type of work that you were in, because you're working with non-Christians as well, do you feel like there is a, and maybe this is a person to person thing. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on this, but do you, do you feel like there's a, um, no, I gotta, I gotta be tough. I gotta deal with this or, or are, are, are people working in this field pretty open about, man, this is, I'm really struggling with this. You know, I think we were all pretty open about the things that we were going through. I always said that in the work, like um, the importance of collaboration amongst churches and community members and organizations was really crucial, not because you wanted people to like know what you were doing, but because you needed the support to be able to call like another advocate in another agency that you would build a relationship with and just get it out like just vent like hey this was just something i experienced i need someone to talk to Mm. um or that pastor at church or even go and like hang i i would go and like sit my in church and just like pray or cry and then go on to my next meeting like um but without having those relationships i don't think i could have done that you know so Yeah. And I mean, I, I obviously, uh, I'm not even going to compare my experience to yours, not even close, but you know, on your podcast, I'd shared about my experience ministering um, and raising awareness about, you know, trafficking within these red light districts in Thailand. And I, I do remember though, I think I had mentioned this on, on your podcast. I won't say the whole story because you know, that'll entice people to be like, okay, I gotta, I gotta hear the full details. Just a trailer. Yeah. Just a taster. Um, but I, you know, we were walking by this strip bar and there's this Thai young Thai girl out there girl. I mean, she was probably early twenties. Um, but, um, and I was walking by and she like reached to grab my hand and I felt her hand touch mine. And I remember going home and just like, it really affected me, not in any like negative way, in a positive way, just like, that's the world she knows is yeah. I got to get this guy in here for nefarious things. Um, and I, I, I just found myself weeping over just that encounter with this, this, this woman of just like that, that's, that's the, cause that's, I'm not going to fall prey to that, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like that was one instance. Magnify that, obviously, and you're shouldering the burden of of heavy, heavy information with with young people and trauma. And it's like I can only imagine, like, just the the weight of something like that. Were the people that you saw that didn't handle it well that work in this field? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, a lot of a lot of you know mental health issues either that rise to the surface or trauma that comes to the surface um things that and and sometimes a lot of people just needed to step away completely which i totally get um i remember really early on um i had two things two pieces of wisdom that just really helped me one was 
like, especially when you're in it, you're just like, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to, and, and hopefully you do, but I, you know, it's that kind of like innocent view of things of like, Oh, I'm going to help change the world. And, um, I had someone tell me like, you're not going to like trafficking is not going to end while you're doing this work. Like your job is to walk alongside every young person that comes through your office door or that you meet out in the community. It's not your job to, you can't stop harm from coming to people. And that was like, also like just lifted this, like, Oh my gosh, like, yeah, like I don't have to fix all the problems. I just have to listen um, and let them know that I'm there and that I care. Um, And that really helped me kind of, moving forward of like, okay, I'm not here to like, end trafficking in my community. Obviously, that's the like, you know, that would be ideal, but it's not on me or mm-hmm. any person to, to do that. That's, um, you know, on God. And then the other thing that really helped me, or well, that was like said to me too, was before you get burnt out with the clients, you get burnt out from the systems that you come up against. And that's oh. like a and I remember I thought I was like, that is like the most negative thing. Like, why would you say that to me? I'm like, yeah. you and like ready to go like that's yeah. such a negative. And as time went on, it was like, oh, my gosh, like, totally. It's not it's just bureaucracy or what? You, yeah, it's not the people you work with. It's these systems and um, the red tape and just the, the pieces that just aren't going to change. Um, that were really hard. Yeah, I can. I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, because we all see that in multiple, not just in that field, multiple fields of just like constant, uh, just all of these. And does everybody feel powerless to do anything to, to change these things or? You know, I think um, there's, it's, you know, and again, this is only my experience working in the systems I've worked in, but I, I do, you know, there's amazing professionals and people's working within these systems. And those are the things that I hold on to is that um, the system isn't always meant to help young people. Like it's Mm -hmm. maybe more focused on adults or um, maybe like the mindset that we need to um, just go through the criminal justice system to, to get rid of the, you know, to help trafficking or to put away traffickers. Um, which yes, obviously, but there, there is this idea that like, this is the way to do it. And a survivor has to go that route in order to see justice. And that just isn't the case because putting, putting maybe their trafficker or their perpetrator in jail is not going to always give someone a sense of justice. And so how do you do that though? You know, like, so you'd have a group of people um, working to really have their the voice of the victim or the person who's experiencing it be heard. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess like what what ultimately is is it just healing from trauma that ultimately is the thing that because I think like justice sometimes I feel like there's a fine line between justice and revenge, especially mm, when yeah. when our flesh is involved. Um yeah. and revenge begets revenge it's this bottomless pit um and uh and so i think maybe that's also an explanation why for some people 
getting justice and having their the person that committed this thing against them in jail or whatever um that that doesn't do it that ends up not doing it for them but what it was it i mean how did you guys address trauma and things like that i mean maybe you guys had multiple departments or it's just your job to connect with these people listen to them and then provide solutions or you know yeah like what you're hearing Help us continue to make Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. To get behind this ministry, visit ElijahFire.com slash give. Now, back to the show. You know, I would say um, it's, you know, it's dependent on the person that you're working with. Like, Mm -hmm. there is not one cut and dry way to address the issue of uh, sexual violence against someone. What I saw, though, time and time again, it really came down to... um, like identity almost like that's just helping someone see that they are a person of value Mm. is really what um what i saw at the heart of everything yeah yeah and i would imagine it was it would be difficult too to be like oh man i just want to like i just want to throw caution to the wind and just preach the gospel to this person and pray for them and all that stuff and I, i i would find that frustrating to not be able yeah. to have that total freedom to be able to do that. You know, it's interesting because I don't, you know, God was doing a work in me as I was kind of doing this work. Um, so I, you know, I, I've grown up like being a Christian. Um, I have my own journey of kind of coming to um, and healing from trauma, but coming through trauma. And um I didn't see the work I was doing as like ministry. And I think sometimes I'm thankful that that was not my view of it. Cause I think that can be a disservice sometimes to survivors. Um, but I would, I would just listen to God. And oftentimes he would say, tell them this, or he would show me what happened like the night before, um, wow. you know, those types of things. And so I could speak based on that. Um, I oftentimes would prophesy over the clients that I had. And actually when I left, I either wrote them out, like the things I saw in them that God told me was in them and I would give, and I gave it to them. Or I would say, just say like, this is what I see in you without saying, you know, without saying this is from God. And then I had a few young people who were Christians and were um, able to hear it in that way. But many, it was just, you know, this is, what I see in you. This, these are the skills that you have. This is the person that I, I know you can become type of thing. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, Cindy McGill, who we've had, you know, on our show several times, that's her approach too, because of these avenues she goes and she can't be like, and Jesus and blah, blah, blah. Yes, exactly. I mean, she's like, we'd never be invited back to these porn conventions to, uh, uh, to, you know, burning man to whatever. Um, and yeah, she's awesome. And realizing like God's words are more powerful than, than, you know, us being like, no, I have to say it this way. I have to do this. Um, yeah. Cause it's like, for me too, like I've been in situations even, and I'm sure a lot of other people are as well, where you meet someone and you know, you're going to see them again. And you're like, you hear the Lord say, I don't want you to mention me. I just want you yeah. to hey, say this, do you know, say that, say this in that way. Uh, and that opens the doors. Like with some people, then even the next time I go, you know, I go in, if it's like a massage therapist or something, you get a word for them, which actually yeah. happened uh, to me. 
um, where you get a word and I'm full on just like, Hey, look, like, yeah, I'm going to do something kind of weird. Uh, God tells me things. And he said this about you. And they're like, Whoa, like that. And I could tell they're not Christian, you know, and they're like, Whoa, yeah. like, and, but you, you said something that hit right, right at the core. Um, and God's words, man, like if God said something to you and you release that and you say that to somebody like, let's not be so narrow minded that we're like, Oh, it didn't do anything because I didn't no, say in God. Jesus name, you know? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. Uh, th that was sort of like the last five years, but your story is much more, yeah, much more bigger than, <laughs> than, than yeah. that. So let's go to the 10 year or more. Um, I mean, what was your, your background? Obviously, you know, all of us have, have a journey with the Lord and, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I grew up, I, I grew up with a connection to Jesus. I would definitely not say I was like a church goer um, in my young, I was a partier when I was in my high school and college years. I was wild. I was doing all the things that I shouldn't have been doing um, in every way. And so I have really, I mean, I, I don't, like, I always believed in God though. Like I can't explain. I just always had like this connection. I would pray. I would, I'm a seer. I would see things. And that was something that like was totally there as a kid. Like I could see demonic things. I could see, Dude. you know, angelic things. Um, and I honestly like thought it was normal. I think a lot of seers who see as children, like this is just their like everyday life. Um, and thankfully I had parents who were just like, tr like truly love God and would like help me walk through some of the things I would see. Awesome. Um, but yeah. And, you know, so I always saw, so I think that also when you do see or feel like you just don't doubt the spiritual realm, like, yeah, it's just there. It is what it is. And so, yeah, I grew up, um, you know, in that way. And then when I got in, when I started, you know, I was a, in, I was a teenager, started partying a lot and, I, and when I would drink or do drugs, the, I would start to see a lot of demons, like a lot okay. more. Yep. And so, um, or like in college, like when I would go into a bar, I would start to see things like written on people and it would just get worse. Like, as I, like, it was just weird. Like God was airing kind of some people's dirty laundry, or it would help me know who it was safe and who wasn't, hmm. um, which then even caused some more, um, like, you know, risky behavior, I guess you would call it, because I just had this, like, like, I know, like, I know what I'm seeing. I know that this might be a trustworthy person. I know that this isn't like, don't go into this room, don't go into this building, or this is a safe place. Like, I just didn't fear much. And that was definitely um, to my disservice, because I used it in the wrong way. And at one point, I just like asked God, like, can you just like, get rid of this? Like, I don't want it. Like, you know, I was just not sure how to steward it. And so, yeah, God just, it was like a, a light switch went off and the next day it was gone. And I was just like, really, um, really happy at that time. Cause I was like, God, I don't have to deal with this thing that is happening. Um, and so, yeah, so that was kind of the spiritual side of it. And then 
Um, I had my own, you know, experiences with sexual violence as well. And that was like in my college years. And um, I just had to like walk through a lot of healing at that time. A lot of things that now I realize were like generational. Um, like, I guess you would call it maybe like a generational curse, those types of things that yeah. I have had to be delivered from. But it was just kind of like the same thing would keep happening over and over. And on the outside, you know, people label that as like, well, why aren't you doing something different? And it was like, I don't know, there's like a mark on my back or something. Like, I don't know what it is, but the mm -hmm. same thing keeps happening whether I do something or not. And mm -hmm. so um, now I understand what that is. But at that time, I didn't. And so, yeah, it's just it's been a really long road. But God has just been like my foundation through and through. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I just also knew that I was. I want to do do something like in the social justice realm. And was that was that something that was a desire very early on, or was that something that developed in high school, in college, yeah. post college? No, that was early on. I'm adopted from Honduras, Central America. Awesome. Yeah, and um, at the time, like um, I grew up, my parents had adopted me, and they had told you know adoption was like super sketch in the '80s, like. No, not a lot of paperwork, not a lot of like oversight on the process. Um, all my paperwork was in Spanish, so I never like learned Spanish and I never sat down to get it like translated. But they had told my one of my parents that my birth mother had died and they had told another one, like I think it was my dad, that my birth mother didn't want to be contacted. So I just grew up like kind of in that. But I knew she was a young teenager, um, like 16 when she had me. And mm -hmm. so um so yeah, I just, I totally lost my train of thought, but essentially, um, yeah, that's kind of where that seed of like, if a teenage girl in a third world country can give birth to a baby, why in America is that not happening? Like, that was my question as a young, like as a child, actually, like my parents were very active in politics. And so those conversations came up a lot. Um, and as I grew, I just was like, I want to help in some way towards like the pro-life cause, um, and then helping specifically with women and children in some way. Mm. So how, how old were you when you got adopted? I was like a baby. I think I was one when I got okay. brought into So you don't US. remember any, any have, of the before time? No, no, I have no memory. Um, aside from, I think I was very sick as a child. My parents had to do like a lot of like, wow. you know, cause I was essentially like left in a crib, which is very common for adopted babies mm -hmm. in other countries. And at that time, Honduras was very, and I think it still can be a very dangerous place. Um, but yeah, they had to really bring me back to get health and nourish me and get me kind of developmentally, developmentally where I needed to be. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and were you, uh, have you ever been to Honduras since then? Do you, I have any, not. do you have any desire to be, to go back? I do. I actually like, I have a crazy story of, um, finding my birth family, what? but <laughs> 23 me shout out. That's like those stories that you hear about like, yeah, I found my whole family in 23 me. That's me. Um, I had like, and I, this was, this was probably about four years ago now I had gotten 23 and me, um, to just figure out, like, it'll tell you kind of like based on your DNA, what your pre, um, 
you know, pre or like what you might be prone to. And I had no clue what was in my health, like family health history. So I did it. I put like, you know, got the whole thing, figured out, sent in my DNA. And I really, truly had never had a desire to find my birth parents. And I think it was just because I, I had a really good upbringing. I never felt like I was missing out. Um, but yeah, I got it. And I, it will like literally connect you to anyone in the world. I don't know. Have you, are you on 23me? Okay. Uh -uh, no, I haven't done it. It'll like literally show you anywhere, anyone, anywhere that matches even the slightest with your DNA. So when I signed up, I had like over a thousand people that like it'll connect you to that wow. like could be a 10th cousin once removed or whatever. Um, and so I kind of just left the app like there, like I got what I needed out of it, the health information, and I don't really check it much. And about a year after, I would like check it every six months. And I was like, I looked, um, you know, I looked and there was a message and it was this person, this woman who said like, hey, I like, who are you? Like, <laughs> we're like very closely connected and I have never heard of you, nor has my family. And, um, and it said that she was like possibly a first cousin. And it was like late at night, I got the message. I remember I was in bed. I got the message. I like read it, shut it down, like went back to, went to sleep. And then I woke up with this like, oh my gosh, this is like a first cousin, like someone who would know like who my parents are. And it was like from there, complete, like, honestly, a wild story and a wild ride of God just like, wow, helping That's me amazing. find my birth family. So That's um, amazing. It's was that crazy. a pretty emotional thing for you or, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was. And the, I mean, so, so here's the craziest part of it. Um, I had, um, I'm trying to think of even where to begin because it's just a crazy story, but I, I had all my papers. They're all in Spanish. My cousin who had reached out to me spoke Spanish. She's like, send them all to me. I'll help you start going through them. We'll get some information. Um, and so I would like send them to her. And then, you know, I started realizing there were like certain names. So like, there was an adoption process in Honduras that they had given my parents like um, a lawyer in Honduras along with a lawyer in the U.S. on the U.S. side of things. And so I was like, I'm going to just put this lawyer's name in like Google just to see if he's still around. And I put it in Google and it's like all of these articles from like the New York Times, the L.A. Times about, oh, it gives me chills when I say it, about a human trafficking ring that was put on by this man and he was fronting as a lawyer and he was running like at that time one of the largest baby trafficking rings in the country of Honduras and um it was like this whole FBI like article on this FBI case and so it was like <laughs> it's so crazy Whoa. and so what would happen essentially is that he had made relations with systems so he would pay off systems like a healthcare system, or he would pay off women in rural communities to have babies, and he would either sell them to foreign parents or traffickers. And um, foreign parents, in my case, was parents in the U.S. So, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> so my husband's like, "This is a lifetime movie, man." This is a, uh, um, yeah. 
And so this is while I found this out while I was doing the work. And um, I also had, you know, some other self-realizations at that time. I was like still working um, with young people doing direct service. And then I had found out like this piece of it. And um, I just, I was at a point where I just needed to bow out. I needed to step back and like really just get some healing and so um, I was like in grad school at the time and finally it kind of all came to a head and I just was like, I need to step away. Like I can't do my job anymore. Um, I need to process all this information I found because there was some other stuff there too. And um, yeah, so I, I took a step back and just really did some deep, deep heart healing around yeah. the whole thing. Wow. Well, yeah. And it's like, all of that too, the, the, the revelatory nature of all of that stuff, you're suddenly like, just, I would imagine you're just kind of like feeling a lot of stuff going through that process. Um, yeah. Do you feel like because of the nature of all this where you're like, well, I was quote unquote, one of the lucky ones, you know, um, that got put into a good family and a good situation. Do you feel like that's informed more of your drive and your passion to to pursue this field of anti-trafficking? You know, yes and no. It's been an odd thing. I think, um, and you know, because at the point I found out, I was like doing like statewide trainings, national trainings, helping people write policy in their organization. Like I was like deep in it, not just working with clients. And so one thing that I would train when I would train, I would often say like the way that trafficking happens in the U S is much different than how we see it portrayed in like a movie, let alone in a, a third world country. Um, and I would kind of like separate the two, like let's like bring ourselves back down to reality to look at the reality of what it's like in the U S versus another country. Cause that's often what's like portrayed in media is like, um, you know, an over, it can be an over-dramatization. Yes. You're thinking like the taken scenarios, all that stuff. Uh -huh. um, but what this did was like literally God held up the mirror and was like, this is you. Like, wow. I've been with you the whole time. I brought you here. Nothing you're doing is by mistake. But the things that you say are so far-fetched like happen to you. And so it was just one of those mm -hmm. like, I can no longer say like, especially like the sound of freedom. Like I cried like a baby in that yeah. movie because it hit home so deeply. And God mm. again was like, this could have been you. Like yeah. you cannot say anymore that this doesn't happen. And you know, like you can't say that it's not like this because it is, and it's part of your story. And so, yeah, that's really what it did for me. It was really, uh, yeah. Make me look in the mirror. Yeah, well, and I mean, and maybe you can speak a little bit more to this because I know people are going to be curious now because you were like, oh, you know, things, the, the way these things happen in the States versus internationally and maybe even as country to country or region to region, it can be different. But, um, you know, I, I would I would like you to elaborate on that just for the sake of people being more well informed. But um, one of the things that shocked me was like, I remember there was a girl who came in when we were in YOM, she came to do a school and you know, the, on the, on that YOM base specifically, my wife and our friend who's since gone on to 
go be with the Lord. Um, they ran a uh, kind of a, a ministry slash organization on the base that was geared, toward, geared towards anti-trafficking. And there was a girl, uh, very just normal looking, but she kind of came forward and, and confided in my wife and, and her friend that her mom for large majority of her life was was soliciting her for um you know sex for different johns that would come into their home and that was just a, a reality and i'm like yeah. i remember thinking i'm like that happens like who would do that you know and it's not you know that is one of the ways that that happens for people it's not oh i got roped into this modeling agency that was fronting as a modeling agency but yeah. it's really a you know um you know a, a human trafficking thing and that's how they would pull in models and you did see that a little bit in the sound of freedom but geared towards children yeah. obviously but help elijah fire continue to make an impact around the world all donations go toward making elijah fire and the elijah fire podcast possible visit elijahfire.com give and become a partner today um yeah. Yeah, but maybe you can speak a little bit to that of of how it happens stateside, the majority of it versus other places. Yeah, well, so I mean, what you're talking about is interfamilial trafficking, where it's like, um, oftentimes kind of like a family business. And I hate to use that term, but that really is what it looks like is like, um, maybe all of the men are uh, traffickers or um the sellers and uh, the women are the ones being trafficked or um, making money in that way. And so, uh, yeah, so that's really common. And that was probably the hardest uh, type of situation to work with because it was so, I mean, people trust their families and there's such loyalty. um, And there's sometimes a little bit more protection even when those situations are happening um, from outside people coming in, right, to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that that is real, though, and that happens quite often. Um, I, you know, I'm hesitant, like I said, I, I think it can happen so many different ways. It's different in a rural area, like, and especially with the turn of COVID, so much of it has started to be ha- like happening online where there's um, just a lot of grooming happening or a lot of um, predators online trying to like have build relationships with young people that then turn into um, unsafe situations or an ask of some sort. Like there's a lot of that happening, especially with video games. We're seeing a lot say, more of that. Yeah, like for for people whose kids play like Roblox and things like that, be yeah. mindful. Be mindful of like the the them engaging with people online. Yeah. Like seriously, like if if you have young kids that are chatting away with people online and uh, you just let them go do their thing, I think you should probably monitor a little bit more just to be on the yes. safe side. Because yeah. yeah, that is one way for sure. Yeah. So I would say a lot of it is, is digital. Um, but you know, uh, a lot in Minnesota, at least the area that I work, there's, um, a few reservations, a lot of, um, native American communities. And so it looked much different in the native American communities than it did like outside of the reservation area. And then also the laws are much different on reservation land. So, um, the way that, 
a case might go is different than how it might go elsewhere. So there's just different dynamics. And then, of course, how it would look in like a bigger city. We're close to the Twin Cities, um, Minneapolis area. So it looks different there. One thing I will say, Minnesota has done a lot of research around the issue of um, child exploitation and trafficking. And they had done like a 2019, they put in like the statewide survey, they asked young people in high school, um, have you ever traded sex for um, in exchange for anything of value? And uh, like 5,000 young people in the state answered yes. And they were able to wow. like narrow down the location or like the region of the state that these young people were in. And our, I think oftentimes we think it's like happening in like these really big metro areas more but what the data showed was that it was actually happening in rural minnesota more than it was happening it was actually the it was like the numbers were less in wow. the twin cities minneapolis st paul area yeah and so wow. we think that's pretty true most likely for the rest of the nation well um, yeah and i remember and i've shared this story on on the show before but it's worth repeating it's been a while but my friends and i were in Colorado we're here it was when I was in YWAM we were we went to this big YWAM conference in Colorado and we drove back and we were driving through northeastern Oregon which is pretty sparsely populated it's country area a lot of cowboys things like that and um we were stopping off at a rest stop that was in the middle of nowhere and we're walking in and and I just you know I'm just kind of me, man, me need to go to the bathroom, me go there, you know? Um, so I wasn't really look, being observant and I went to the bathroom. I came back out and I, I remember I, as I was walking out, this dude was walking in who, you know, I'm six, three, almost six, four. And, and, um, he was, I don't know, like five, nine, it wasn't a big dude, but he was a real intense dude. I was just like, I like, yeah, we kind of like bumped into each other and I was like, Oh, excuse me. And he was just like, just had this scowl on his face. And I was like, Okay, grumpy pants. Uh, and so then I walk out to the car, and some of my friends were like, "Dude, do you see? Do you see those girls?" And 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 they were mentioning the guy as well that was with them. And all these girls were probably I don't know, so anywhere between thirteen and sixteen, I would say was probably the ages, maybe younger than thirteen. All different nationalities, predominantly South American, but um. Anyways, uh, but they wouldn't make eye contact with us. Some of my girls on my team were trying to talk to them. And then one of the guys on my team went to go talk, you know, just gesture to the guy making small talk. And he was just told him to blank off or something. But um, anyways, uh, they were like, dude, like something's off. Like those girls won't make eye contact with us. And he was driving this big white van. So it was like total like cliche. And um, again, this isn't a really like country area. Um, and so we ended up tailing him from a distance, got his plates, everything. Long story short, the FBI had been looking for this guy on human trafficking allegations wow. and they were able to find him. And this member from my group of friends was like involved with the FBI as a result of this. And it was just wild, but it just goes to show wow. like. I mean, that was exactly what you're talking about where it's in this. And I remember just being like, dude, I got to be more alert, dude. Like, you know, um, just because I, I would imagine like those rest spots, areas that there are less eyes are going to be a higher, it's going to be a higher volume of traffic because not yeah. as many people are looking. 
Yeah, there's an amazing group called Truckers Against Trafficking. And so it's like, oh man, they're they're awesome. If anyone wants to look up Truckers Against Trafficking Dude. and they um, you know, they have relationship with law enforcement and other organizations if they see something which is common, like you said, at those rest areas. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. So in your notes, um, you mentioned uh, that you had this personal fork in the road. And, and in the notes, you're talking about your your backstory of adoption from Honduras, finding your birth family and all of that. Um, why why would you call that a fork in the road? Like what was produced as a result of of that whole thing? Yeah, so I was so the fork in the road really was. God was calling me into more, um, like I would say ministry specific work. And I am one who I would say like pretty much was like, I'm not going to go into ministry. It's not my thing. I'm not like pastor vibes. I'm not like doing that whole thing. It's not for me. Um, (laughs) and God has other plans. (laughs) Like, yes, he does. Tatiana. (laughs) And so, um, and you know, so that, as I healed and as I reflected on the work that I had done, like I said, it really all came down to identity. And I, and a piece of why I love training in communities um, or training community members is because I just feel like if a young person can see themselves in their own community, that is half the battle. Like if they feel that there's a place for them to work, if they feel like there's a place for them to live, um, to be without any harm coming to them and people see them and know how to work with them. So I would often train um, like business owners on how to like, if you have a youth that just pops off, like most likely it could be a trauma response. How do you work with a young person in your business instead of just firing them? Mm. Um, and so God like brought me out to that wider view of like, if a youth can be seen in their church, make me emotional Mm. um and a church can respond to someone who's experiencing sexual violence in a way that is gonna heal their spirit then that's like really ultimately the healing that's needed Mm. um and so that is a piece of the work that god is really shifting me into um i would call it just that you might want to call it deliverance i don't know what it is Mm -hmm. yet but just working with churches and calling churches out frankly to be the hands and feet of jesus to survivors yeah do you feel like it just people don't in in church even don't they don't know what to do maybe they feel like i mean maybe you can speak a little bit more to that let's just go there yeah (laughs) i was like again this is only my experience yeah no Um, i just could go for it um for anyone else but you know i pastors care about this issue. I will say that first and foremost, I've had a lot of conversation with pastors who are like, I want to do something, Mm -hmm. but oftentimes what they may not understand is one, there might have been victimization that happened because of a pastor. Um, oftentimes, and this was not uncommon where pastors were buyers. And so to, to have a youth go into a space where, they have had to have like a like just essentially trauma, sexual violence come against them and from a pastor in a leadership position, like you can't ignore that. You know, like as no. a church, we need to be aware 
of the hurt that the church can cause um, in these spaces and has caused, quite frankly. Um, But to be able to move past that and just say, like, we want to, one, acknowledge it and to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Well, I feel like Tatiana, like in regards to the church causing a lot of problems or people within the church, I don't want to just take the church, throw yeah. the church in the dumpster and be like, ha, ah, look at them when it's like, <laughs> that's all of us. Right. Exactly. Um, and, uh, but I do feel like there are figures within the church, you know, we talk a lot about identity being a big issue right now in society, identity being a problem, you know, within a lot of unsaved, but guys make no mistake. Identity is being attacked within people who openly Mm -hmm. confessed Jesus with their mouths, believe in their hearts that they will be saved that are attending church, all of these things. And it's just, this is a big area that Satan is attacking across the board. And so a lot of these people that are engaging, a lot of these believers, people that would say, Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor engaging in these types of behaviors. Um, there's, there's a disconnect with their own identity. There's trauma that they're using to medicate. And it's, it's been undealt with to the point that they are in this place of, of engaging in these types of things. Um, and there's so much I want to say about this issue. Yeah. And it's just like it's all it's all jumbled. <laughs> I'm like words in this podcast and, and, episode. And, uh, I know because it's a big <laughs> it's a big thing. But I just oh man. There's well, a lot. so yeah. I was gonna say I always like to be hopeful, right? Because what I do see is that the church is in a, at least the churches I've been in, they want to do something about it. It's yeah. almost like this separation though of like we have our congregation, like we come to church on Sunday and no one's asked me about trafficking, no one's said anything. And it's like, well, let's start having conversations at the pulpit. Like that's where it starts. Like yeah. bring people in who are doing the work or um, even have like a panel outside of like a sermon time. Like there are ways to start engaging your church members because what always happens as and I've seen it where I've had the opportunity to go into churches and do some of this work is that you have people who are either working in the field and never said anything who have money and want to put their money into causes like this in their own church and might be putting it elsewhere but if it was there you could actually fund like a whole program you know like start to have the conversation and you will be amazed at what God comes up with yeah so Specifically in regards, uh, let's go back to something else you just said about, um, you know, some of these people have trauma as a result of, you know, like having a pastor figure, you know, them, they're not going to, especially if they've been, you know, they've had pastors be buyers of services. They're not going to be like, yeah, I'm going to go to that church and I'm going to tell that pastor. Now, let's say in the event, let me just kick you a scenario. Let me say, let's just say in the event that someone does open up and they come to members of a church, not the pastor, but they come to members of the church. And then those members of the church are like, well, we got to tell the pastor, what would your advice be on how to handle that? Cause I have my own opinions on, on how to handle it, but I want to hear from you specifically like, okay, in that scenario, I would advise this instead rather than like, okay, well I'm the pastor. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta be front and center but maybe that's not what's best in every situation. 
Sorry, can you explain the question one more time? Okay. <laughs> I think I get what you're saying. But okay, so you. let's say, because you were saying some of these places, they've yeah. had buyers who were pastors. Yeah. So they're not... at the, the idea of them going to a church and being like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to open up. I need to talk to somebody about what happened, you know, and I was in this thing and I was trafficked into all of this mm, and yeah. say, you know, say for the sake of the argument, they do end up going to a church, but they go to someone specifically, not the pastor because they're like, I don't want to talk to a pastor because my history with pastors being buyers so I'm going to go to this other nice old lady who looks like, you know, and so they, they go and they confess this thing to this, the, the nice old lady or whatever, another person in the church, because they aren't a pastor. Yeah. Like they're going to that person because yeah, they aren't a pastor. And then that person goes, well, I got to let the pastor know because this is a big thing. So then they tell the pastor and the pastor's like, well, I got to be front and center because I'm the pastor. So I'm going to, and maybe that's not the best thing for this kind of a situation. You yeah. get what I'm saying? Does that make more yeah. sense? Yeah, well, I don't I think I, I do understand what you're saying, but I in first and foremost, it's not our job to out anyone's trauma. Like mm. if anyone comes to you in a church setting, of course your first response should just be to listen and yeah. you know, never to go anywhere else with the information unless that person says, Hey, can you help me with X, Y, and Z? Yeah. Um, I do think that I think that's what you're asking. I I do see a lot of trauma outing it oftentimes in the church and it's done with this idea of like i'm trying to help i'm trying to connect you yeah um to services to a pastor um and then it causes again more trauma more damage to the situation in a place that a person thought was safe of course if someone is currently you know being harmed or there's a current situation mm. um you know that's a different situation yeah. um but if it's something that someone just needs to say, like, hey, this is something that happened to me um, or has happened to me, like, just pray about it. Like, yeah. that is our role, first and foremost, is to pray. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's good. And I think specifically with just trauma outing, period, I think I think you're right that there is there is a, a problem of that within the church. And yeah, it is, it is rooted in a place of wanting to help. And maybe you're like, man, this situation is huge and it feels too big for me. I don't know what to do. Maybe my pastor will know. And then yeah. suddenly you're in a meeting with a bunch of people who, who it, like your pastor and other yeah. people. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then it, yeah, it becomes, and I think, yeah, just handling things more delicately. Um, I think is probably the best, best course of action. Yeah. Uh, but in a church, I mean, I think, you know, if you can have small groups dedicated with a professional, um, but dedicated to like survivors of sexual abuse in any way, having spaces for people to share their experience and gain healing, um, that should definitely be a part of every church. Yeah. So you would say though, that a, a good first step, for churches wanting to kind of be more, I guess, compassionate in this area, more delicate in this area is to really start talking about this stuff from the pulpit, bringing in yeah. experts, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, you know, I think there's already people doing the work in every community. Like I always just think that you have to connect with people 
who are working in those fields um, yeah. instead of trying to make this whole separate like oh we're gonna do this without the involvement of you know the the people who are already doing it like mm. make it a collaborative effort yeah yeah so i have a question um obviously you did pro-life work in D washington dc and mm -hmm. I I'm just curious what the connective tissue is from your days of your wild child days of partying and then getting serious with your relationship with God. And then that was pro-life always something that was prevalent in your life, even in your party days, or were you very yeah. pro-choice and then no. became pro-life? <laughs> no, I've always been pro-life just based on the fact that I was adopted and yeah. it, my parents very quickly connected the dots that this is a pro-life issue adoption as a pro-life issue and then god really did the work from there of like you know you're here because your mother chose life and um yeah that was just always in me i remember when i wrote out my goals at the age of like 15 or something I, one of my life goals was to open a halfway house for young mothers wow. um and so i mean when i look back i'm like that was like 15 when i wrote that that's crazy yeah um yeah, it was just always part of me. And, you know, I, I also give credit to my my parents because they were very like also very like not everyone's going to agree with you on this. Like, yes, we believe this, but abortion like people have abortions and they have reasons for those abortions. And mm -hmm. it is traumatic to have an abortion. Um, and so I was also so thankful for that point of view because um you know, it, it, it really grounded me to not come in with this, like, savior mindset. And I don't have that for anything I do. I just ask God to show me how he sees things. And mm. he does. Yeah. And I do think that that savior mindset too, can just come from a place of like, people who maybe are more idealistic, because I've definitely had to really allow the Lord to root that out of me, because my desire mm. is to help. And to, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna fix and I think honest, being <laughs> <No>. married, being <laughs> married has actually really helped me because I, that I, there's a reason why this is a kind of a, uh, a cliche is, you know, guys coming and just fixing their wife's problem when all they want is you to listen to them. And I think for me has really forced me to kind of step back <clears throat> and just kind of take more measured steps rather than like, it's this, this is the problem. Just do this. Boom. There we go. We fixed it. Everybody. Yay. You know, uh, I know for me personally, that that's definitely where a lot of that is rooted is it, it is up from a place of compassion, of course, but it's my flesh's answer to that compassion rather than recognizing that compassion is a very godly attribute. And it actually stems from his throne and I'm hearing his heart and rather than yeah. hearing his heart and then assuming the rest going okay god what's the next step what do you want me to do which is basically what you're saying yeah yeah, yeah. no exactly i um you know i think too like throughout my life i have i don't know god just puts me in spaces and i think i just tend to do all right in spaces that are pretty liberal and pre i mean i have tattoos at one point i had like oh. all purple hair i like so when I worked in DC, I would do anything, everything to not be like, look like your typical, like, uh -huh. um, office <laughs> staffer. Yeah. Um, and so, but so like, I would go to, um, I would go to the Hill and there would be like, uh, you know, like 
Planned Parenthood and like pro-lifers. And like, I remember one time I went and they would not let me onto the pro-life side of the, like what they were doing. And I had like purple hair, I had tattoos and they're like, I was like, I am with you guys. Like I need to get through to whoever I'm I need to like do this interview with them. You're not one of us. They're like, they thought I was like infiltrating. But God showed me like, he just lets me blend into these places um, that many people can't. you know, and so that has been like such a huge blessing in my work and even working in the in the field with survivors. Um, since I was in it, you know, since I am a person of color, a lot of um, other families on the reservation, like they wouldn't let social workers in, they wouldn't let law enforcement in. Um, oftentimes there was like just issues with, um, you know, people who were white and they would let me in. Like they would let me come sit in their house. It's a major open door. Yeah. God has just really um, graced me in that, in that way to do those types of things. Mm -hmm. So I wish I could be like, you know, my story of just being like really idealistic and kind of like growing up in this ministry mindset, but that is just not, not my story. Yeah. Um, So so someone, uh, Anushka from the comments asked and it's kind of backtracking a little bit but i think it's worth yeah. addressing she said did you get your seer gift back because you're like god take this away take it away and then you felt things quiet down for you for that yeah. but was it did you feel i i guess i'll add something onto that did you feel once it went away did you feel relief long term i'm sure for a moment it was like oh finally okay it's off but was there did you feel like a part of you was missing because that was something that got it instilled in you so I'm just you know no I I felt so much relief because I didn't understand it I didn't understand I mean and oftentimes I would judge people based on what I saw like oh a hundred percent I've shared that on here before with with me as well yeah yeah Yep, exactly. And so um I used it in a way that was never intended I didn't understand my god was showing me um, you know, the things that he was showing me. So I felt major relief for a long time after it, it was just completely dark, essentially, is like the way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I grew older and I, you know, I started to, well, I had actually, I had a situation. No, this is what actually I kind of forgot about this, but I um, was at a point in my life. I was, li- we were living in DC. Um, I was pregnant with my second child. She had some health issues in the womb. Like we weren't sure if she was going to survive. Frankly, we weren't sure wow. what was going to happen to her. And I was like, not sure what I was going to do next in my career. If we should move back to Minnesota, just a lot of unknowns. And, um, and so I, I decided to go to, and I, was just not from my faith at this time, I decided to go to a psychic. And I it wasn't like actually I didn't go see them in person, but I decided like I needed some answers. Mm-hmm. And um so I went, I got like paid for someone to do like a reading online or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And um and as you might guess, <laughs> that was not a good idea. And it opened all the demonic doors and boom, just like a light again there it was. And I was seeing demons. I was like hearing things like toys go off with demonic voices. Like it was full blown demonic attack. 
in our house and hearing people talk to my children, my husband, who is not like he sometimes is like, like at that point, he was just like, I don't know, like, I mean, sure, the supernatural, he, you know, sure, it's real, but I've never experienced it. Well, he experienced it. And he was seeing things we were seeing like shadows and strong men and all these things in our apartment. Mm -hmm. And I dove headfirst because I realized like, okay, like this is real, this is happening. And I dove headfirst into essentially learning about deliverance ministry. And um, that is what essentially brought me into back into um, the seer realm and God like, we got rid of the demons. We did everything we needed to do. Thankfully, when we moved to to Minnesota, nothing came with us. Um, and then once we, we've been back in Minnesota for like five years now. And once we came back and I could settle again and just regroup and really sit with God and ask like, all right, yeah. God, like I'm here. I see it. <laughs> I get you. I've never heard, actually, Tatiana, I've never heard of someone's gift reactivating as a result yeah. of like, like going to a, a psychic and like having this onslaught of I've had those things, you know, I've seen stories of those kind of things being prevalent in people's lives, but I've never seen someone's gift reactivate from kind of the back end of like the, the darkness yeah. into the light. That's, that's wild. You know, I actually had forgotten about that piece of it, but when you repeated the question, it just, from I totally kind of forgot that that was how it started. But then once I, you know, did deliverance over our house, over our family, over like digging deep, listening to a lot of Alexander Pagani, um, you know, the demon slayers, like getting deep into it. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, able to sit with God and just pray like, all right, God, like, I want to hear, I'm ready. Let's, I want to hear, I want to see you. I want to see the angelic. And it has been actually slower. Um, like it's kind of like this year gifting has been a little bit slow, but it's kind of like I would say in the past year is probably getting back to where it was when awesome. I was younger. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, like that's, that was my first, uh, that was the, it, my first kind of introduction to my seer gifting was, and mine's not as strong as others. I think I've just learned, I, I've been a good steward of the, of the gifting after having misused it many times, like you were saying, I kind of chuckled to myself when you were like, you know, I was using it the wrong ways. I was judging people, you know, that was 100% me was just like, people, I would get a word of knowledge about somebody. And my reaction was how, how could they do that? (laughs) It's like, you idiot. Don't. It's obviously there's some some, uh, repentance involved, you know? Oh, totally. Oh my gosh. And even to this day, I mean, now I just sit and pray like, (laughs) but I have to pray that God just gives me the grace to do with what, you know, to, to steward the things he shows me. Well, Mm. um, that is just an everyday prayer (laughs) because you know, you're tired and you see something and you're just like, Oh, there goes the judgment. There it goes, Uh you know, yeah, it's so it's so interesting. And it's funny too for me because I I find that I and this is why we're just evidence that we're made for made to be in community community and relationship with people. When I'm I've had people confess wild things to me. Yeah. Doesn't phase me. But when yeah. I'm on the outside looking in on a situation, 
it's so much easier for me to fall into judgment over people I know. Um, and, and so, man, that's why it's so important to just stay engaged with people. And, um, oh man, if, if, if anyone's listening, you do fall into that place of repentance or judgment, just repent right away. Like, yeah. God's not gonna be like, oh, that was it. They they judge. Like he knows that we <laughs> now I'm never saying anything to them ever again. You know, um, yeah. God, God, God opens up uh, opens us up to stuff, knowing that our flesh is gonna have to die to some of that revelation, you know? Yes. And man, I mean, that's been my my experience. It's been plenty of other people I know's experience. It's just like, um, it is yeah that your flesh just does have to die it does so it does and and to what god is showing me more um recently as well is like you can't hold on to the old word like if god gave you a word over someone doesn't mean it's valid mm. like a month later like you have to let go of that's the old good. word and so um yeah that's something that god is walking me through it's just letting go of the old to get into the new yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Come on. Um, all right. Well, Tatiana, I mean, a lot of the stuff we talked about, it was like, okay, we could, we could hang out here for a long time and talk about, um, we're doing broad strokes here. Uh, but I would love for you to pray for people actually. Well, no, I'll have you talk about, I want you to talk about the podcast, but I'll have you pray first and then we can talk. I want to talk about the podcast afterwards. Uh, but just pray as you feel led. And you talked a lot about identity. Um, you know, we address a little bit of identity just br- across the body of Christ, but also in the world. But however you feel the Lord is 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 um, leading you to pray, I want you to pray for people. Yeah, dear Lord, God, we just thank you for this time together, Lord. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thank you so much for Jeff and Lauren and the Elijah Fire uh, crew, Lord, just for your continued hand upon them, Lord. And Um, Right now, God, I just pray for everyone listening, Lord. I pray, Lord, that um, I just sense that there's people listening who maybe don't have the seer gift, but desire it to see more. And Lord, I just pray for that person right now, God, Mm -hmm. that um, you will just open up the eyes of their heart, Lord, that they can just start to step into deeper understanding, bigger vision, Lord. that their spirit will just be open to seeing all that is around us in the spirit, God. And I also just pray, Lord, for um, those of us who maybe have had traumatic experiences with things that we've seen in the spirit, like always seeing the demonic um, or just really scary dreams or things like that, God. I just pray for healing, Lord. I just pray mm-hmm. for um, your hand upon those people to just um, like a healing of mind and a healing of vision, Lord, and just stepping into seeing your glory and your goodness that's around and just the beautiful heavenly things that you've placed around us, God. Um, yeah, just thank you, Lord. Mm. Amen. So Tatiana, um, I mean, for what it sounds like now that you've kind of explained the broad strokes of of people that have worked in your field, for a long period of time, um, especially when you're not working in a ministry, but with non-Christians and, and um, it's just like, it, 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 to me, it's just an interesting thing to think about because there's so much 
I mean, I can look at these issues and go like, this is on God's heart. Mm -hmm. Like the justice of God is on God's heart. And it, to me, it's just in my mind, it's so integral to this whole process, connecting with God's heart on this issue and asking for his guidance. And uh, so it's a weird thing to think about, like, and not that God isn't using non-Christians, whether they recognize it or not, he absolutely is. But I do see just from listening to you talk about this, this, you know, your experience that how necessary it is to have a place where Christians can come and they can communicate this stuff. And and that's why I I see your podcast as something that is so vital for people in your field. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, like, what's your, what's ultimately your heart, I guess, behind like, okay this is what I want people to take away, but this is also what I, my prayer is for people that come on my podcast. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. I think, um, I, I hope the takeaway is that you're not alone if you're in this field. Um, if you're not in this field and you're listening because you're curious about the issue, um, step into it. That's my heart that people step into the things that God is calling them into, whether it's helping with, Uh, you know, the issue of homelessness or, you know, food insecurity, or it doesn't have to be trafficking. So that's ultimately my hope that people listening will be stirred to do something in their community. Um, That professionals and people in working in this field know that they're not alone as God, you know, kind of like can be really isolating to be in this work and to be walking and hearing from God and like no one else is talking about that. So just to hear these conversations and just, uh, you know, help God show you that you're seen. And then yeah. also, like, I think the bigger picture, um, the idea of prophetic justice, that um, prophetic voices start to engage on the issues of justice. So if there are people in ministry, if there are prophetic people listening to my podcast, my hope is that it stirs something in them to start speaking on these issues um, and do it from a prophetic standpoint that God has gifted them with. It's so unique too. Like question when God was like, you're going to call it prophetic justice. Were, did you immediately see the marriage between those two things, you know, social justice work, um, but also the prophetic? Was that an instant? Oh, yeah, of course, those things emerge. Or was that a further revelation after you heard? No, you know, I actually had been thinking about the naming it um, the prophetic social worker, but I'm not like a licensed social worker. So I felt like uh-huh. I can't do that. Um, yeah. So that had kind of been like stirring. And then God gave me it, and I went to sit down and my husband's like, oh, that's cool. Like poetic, just poetic justice. And it was like, bam, like that revelation came mm-hmm. to me because I was like, I don't put those two together. Yeah. Um, and so that's almost like the deeper revelation of like God's poetic justice yeah. but it really is prophetic justice yeah yeah come on so are you looking at what i what's your what's your prayer in terms of the show because uh, i know you're right now it's just whenever you can get someone you kind of spread yeah. out them but are yeah. you hoping to go weekly or are you hoping to go just twice a month like what's what's your heart behind like, yeah what, so hoping your prayer and your dream You know, right now, God is just saying to do a few episodes a month. So that's what I've been doing. Um, I don't, like I said, this is not my, like, 
realm. I'm not like super comfortable in the media space, but I'm learning. Um, I was going to say, it is your realm now. (laughs) It is my realm now. I guess I shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't really have like um, a bigger vision right now, which as I say it, I'm like, yeah, you should. But I mean, um, you know, I God has put on my heart to write a book and go deeper into my story. Nice. Um, so that'll happen at some point, but, um, and then the other piece of it too, like, and I know people can relate to this right now. I'm actually not in the anti-trafficking space. I was doing federal work and that piece of my work ended. So for the past three months, I was not working and I've just been praying like, God, where do you want me? What do you want me to do? And it really is that like, forget everything, you know, cause I'm bringing you into a new, like, Whoa. don't hang on to, even though it was my work. Don't hang on to it. Talk about getting outside of your comfort zone. You're telling me. Man. <laughs> yeah. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Tatiana, how can people listen to your podcast? Yeah. This podcast. It is uh, anywhere you find podcasts. Um, you know, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, a few other places. And then um, you can reach out to us on Instagram at Prophetic Justice Podcast. And I would love to, yeah, come and follow us and you'll see all the episodes coming up. And uh, Jeff, you'll be our November, uh, <laughs> our November uh, episodes. So Woo-hoo! please go listen to that. It's so good. It's so good. So thank you yeah. for being on my show. Oh, it's an, it was an honor. It was so much fun. So um, yeah. So everybody links are in the descriptions to all of that stuff. Um, you know, the, there should be a Spotify link. Uh, Illumination can tell me if there isn't one, but there typically is. When we have podcasts, we put a Spotify link. Yes, there is, is what she said. Hot diggity dog. Um, so link in the description to the Spotify, but you can listen to it wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. Uh, follow her on Instagram. Uh, if you got, if people have recommendations for you. Oh, I would love that. Um how how might direct how one, message go on, on to instagram. Our instagram and just hit me up um and let me know like or if you're someone who is working in this field um and you are just wanting to share how god works for you like i would love to talk with you so yeah don't hesitate i would love to hear from you there we go everybody uh flood her inbox and make her feel overwhelmed in the best possible way <laughs> Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. So, Tatiana, thank you. Thank you so much. This was great. So good. Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So, everybody, it's Monday, which means tomorrow is Tuesday. Who's on on Tuesday? We've got Charlie Champ back on the show. So, I'm looking forward to that, hanging out with Charlie. That's going to be great. He had to reschedule last week, I think it was. So, we got it, or two weeks ago, or whenever it was. So, anyways, that's at 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Also, elijahstreams.com slash donate is how you guys donate. Hey, you get in the double whams. You, su- you you support us, even if it's five bucks, and that goes towards the water wells as well. So we love you guys, and we'll see you tomorrow at 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time with Charlie Sham. Okay, bye! This has been Elijah Fire. Thanks for listening. For more episodes like this, you can check out the Elijah Fire podcast on ElijahFire.com, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us live every weekday at 2 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, and Facebook. Elijah Fire is presented by Elijah Streams and is part of Elijah List Ministries. Go to ElijahFire.com slash give for more info on how you can donate today.